Hey guys, episode 11. This is one you're going to want to listen to. Uh, This is an older conversation that I filmed when we were making the online course and mentorship, and it's actually part of our course. And this interview is with Lyle Hebel from Stone Glacier, and Lyle has done a lot of very unique things in the hunting industry. He's had his hands in all the little content pots, marketing Uh, he's an artist himself and he straight up drops some bombs in here. So if you are wanting to become a hunting photographer, this is definitely a must listen to episode. So let's dive in and hear what kind of insights Lyle has to share with you guys. So like, what would your advice be for photographers who are like getting started, getting their feet wet and the question of pricing is going to come up yeah. both for like a day rate or yeah. like a gallery of images or a single one-off image. Like what's the best way to navigate pricing in your opinion? Yeah. So pr- pricing is always tricky because like there's, there's such a huge range, right? And that range depends like on a lot of different variables, it, experience, what, what the end use is. But what I've found is um, like for us, uh, you know, as a, as a brand and somebody who came from the agency side, like, it's much easier to have a consistency across all photographers within a certain like quality level. So like if you're a new guy just coming out, like you can't expect obviously to get paid the same as a guy that's been shooting for 10 years. Um, So from a pricing standpoint, like sometimes you'll do things at a lower price just to get your foot in the door, right? Mm -hmm. Like it only makes sense to, to spend uh, a little bit of, of that extra time and give away a little bit of that dollar equity just to get your foot in the door. So realistically, you may think to yourself, I'm going to sell this image for a hundred bucks, but in the end, if you get 50 bucks out of it, that's probably a better play. Um, so pricing is interesting. So for us, like we, we work with a, a lot of different photographers and in the past I've worked with a lot of different photographers and I've seen that, that pricing structure for like a day rate be anywhere from like 150 bucks all the way up to like 1200 to 2000 to even like 5,000, depending on yeah. who the individual you're working with. So the part that will be hard is like like knowing what to charge, right? And again, it's it's going back to that idea of well, like what does it work to you in the long term? Is it, you know, giving somebody an image that goes on Instagram? That's that's great. It's a very short window, you know. Uh, selling somebody a photo that goes in a catalog now that's that's better, right? Because it's going to get perceivably a little bit more long term exposure in the way that the life of things works. But yeah, I would say. Price yourself to what you think is fair. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you can start to kind of set the baseline as you go up within within kind of your space. So, you know, like a lot of brands, um, the larger brands will, if they pay for like a photo being used in social, I've seen those go anywhere from like 25 to 80 bucks a photo. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, stuff that's going into catalog will go, again, anywhere from like, 125 bucks, 200 bucks, all the way up to, you know, maybe like 1200, 1500 bucks. If it's a cover image, um, you'll often see that, but again, it's all kind of fluctuates on what the end use is and, and what that circulation of the piece is. So yeah, so it's a little bit of a, a, a tricky question to like give you like a, a well, yeah, key answer I mean, on like what pricing should be, but it's a range honestly. And sometimes, um, you'll do things purely because you want that relationship and, yeah. and that's, that's what you want to do. And you want to find that balance um, and go into all these relationships knowing that, you know, that the end game is to get paid, right? Like the end of the day, 
you just can't give your craft away forever. That doesn't work. But giving a small part of yourself away to get that introduction, to get your foot in the door and just establishing up front that like, this is what I can do now, but I would love to grow that relationship into a, a paid, uh, paid relationships the way to think about that. But there's a lot of photographers out there. So brands are constantly getting like churned up for, for, um, you know, come work with me, come, sh- let me shoot this, send me some product. I'll do this for you. And at the end of the day, like it's, it's flattering and it's awesome to be in that relationship, but it's hard to like sift and weed through all those. Mm-hmm. So having like a very open kind of, uh, relationship and conversation with brands going into it sure makes life a lot easier. And so that's about pricing usage, all that just be yeah. very open in, in regards to what you're trying to achieve. I mean, if you're negotiating a price to someone, I mean, there's not really a basis for like who's right and who's wrong. There's the not. Value. No. So like, what would your recommendation be for like, yeah. how do you tactfully yeah. say, no, you're wrong. I think the image right. is worth more than this. Yeah. And like, why? And yeah, I guess that even comes back to like, why would a more experienced photographer deserve more money than a less experienced photographer if they yeah. both can deliver the same product same like, product I, I i understand it but yeah a lot no of it's don't. it's a yeah it's a tricky question um a lot of it has to do not only with maybe the not necessarily the quality of the image or the uh the end use of the image it's a lot of times like how the image was captured and and the sure the um kind of the, the concept and the idea that went into that image right so like, let's say I have a project and I send somebody specifically out to capture an image. So a guy that has a lot of experience, say 10 years of experience, the conversations that we have are going to be much shorter and much direct. And he's going to already kind of have a creative eye and very likely know what I'm going to want on the end. Working with somebody younger that maybe hasn't worked with a brand or with an agency, it's going to take a lot more handholding to get them to that point where you're like, hey, that's a really good image. Or like, you know, what what has happened to, for me personally in the past is like, we'll go out and get some images and they'll come back and then we'll have a conversation and say, let's go out again and try to get some more images. And this is what I want you to capture. Right. Um, so a lot of it is, you know, you're really paying for your experience and there's wicked talented people, kids that are super, uh, super good at taking creative photos, but being a photographer, being anything creative, there's kind of the business side of it. And for a lot of reasons, the more business experience you have, the photography, like that's that, that'll always be good. But that business experience, that what what adds more value to you because you're not you're not having to go around and like hold somebody's hand to figure out like now you gotta send me an invoice, man. Well, I don't have an invoice, so then you get like an email and you're like, oh, I can't turn that into accounting. So it's that level of like, hey, like I just have more experience. Yeah. So, to, but to, I guess to answer your question, like, there's no real wrong wrong price. Like, if you can truly justify why you think that photo is worth that much, sure. That's that's absolutely up to you, and that's the hard thing about being a creative is, you, there's like no tangible price on it, right? Like, and it's all it's all you know super uh, subject to everybody's own personal taste. It's not like if you're an electrician and I hire you to make the lights work, it's pretty cut and dry when the lights work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When I hire you to take a photo, it's very much like a personal kind of preference in regards to like, is that a good photo? Is that a bad photo? Yeah. Why is this one better than that one? Why should this guy get paid more than that? So. The biggest thing that that you need to be able to do is justify your price. Like, be able to articulate why you think that value is there and what you've done to add that value, and then still be able to negotiate though. And what you'll find is that most brands and most people they they know it's going to be a bit of a negotiation. 
sometimes you'll just, just really need to like stay stay staunch and say like this was a prize. But just know that oftentimes being overly demanding about price can affect your long-term relationship to work with somebody. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that business aspect of it, of trying not to make it hard for them and still provide value. So just kind of know your price and know why it's worth that. Um, and then be able to, to articulate to them exactly why you feel you should be able to, to justify that cost. Sure. Um, like what are some things for photographers to maybe keep in mind as far as dictating a cost on like an annual retainer? Yeah. You know, cause that yeah. involves a lot more variables. Yeah. So annual uh, retainers are awesome. Um, when you can get them, they, the, the thing about the retainers is I, I always like to look at it or like when, when I'm doing these contracts with them, I'd like to break it down almost into uh, the number of days I'm going to get, right? Or the number of trips that are going to be, uh, be had. And so that way you can still balance it and make it fair for the photographer. So, you know, if you're saying, hey, I need, I'm going to get 5,000 photos this year for you. Well, that's a lot of trips and that's a lot of expense. So that retainer is going to be much larger. So for, for me, when I'm doing that, I look at it more like, well, realistically, from a one day's trip, I'm very likely going to get 150 photos. And based off of our content and our calendar of what we need from a creative aspect, I can start to balance out how many photos I'm going to use that year. So a brand like us, um, you know, we, we use a fair amount of photos, not as much as some of the larger brands. So I kind of know that you know, I'm going to need four or 5,000 photos this year, knowing that I'm going to weed through a good portion of those and I'll probably actually use 150 of them in our collateral marketing material. And then a lot of them will filter into Instagram. So, so setting that price, like I always kind of like to work, like I said, work backwards from that day rate. And then you can start to build on it and to say like, Hey, I plan on shooting, you know, 15 days. Well, if your day rate for easy math, you know, it's a hundred bucks a day, then that's what you set your retainer at. So, um, part of it too is also including like, Hey, this is a retainer, but I'm going to be traveling and doing these trips. What type of travel stipend is there? So there's some other ways to recoup a little bit of that cost um, sure. in that respect to ensure that you're just not getting run over. But yeah, retainers are great. Um, sometimes with a retainer, you'll put in more work and that's just kind of the the ebb and flow of a retainer, right? Yeah. Um, because you'll be getting paid on some months when the brand is in a downtime, which is great. But then there's going to be some months when you'll probably hustle a little bit more yeah. to make up for that. So For sure. Yeah. So from a photographer's perspective, like let's say I'm coming to you mm-hmm. and like an annual contract is like it's in the conversation. Yeah. And I don't know how to price it. Would you say, hey, Zach, go talk to another photographer and try to come up with a price? Or yeah. would you say, hey, Zach – have an honest conversation with Lyle and say, Hey, yeah. I don't know how to price this. Right. Can you help me work through it? Yeah. I think, I think you have to read the room obviously. Right. And if you, if you have a relationship already established with this person you're working with, I think it's absolutely in your right to say like, Hey, can, can you give me a recommendation based off of what we discussed that you'd like to see the retainer at? Mm-hmm. And then you can always counter from that position. Um, yeah. I think also knowing and doing your research and trying to, to find out kind of what some of those retainers are from people that you have a trusted resource in would be absolutely a good way to do it. But there's nothing, there's nothing wrong about being honest and telling them how should I price this or what, what did you have in mind for a retainer? Um, And at least that way you kind of have that starting point to, to go back and bounce those, uh, those ideas off of each other to come up with that price that you're looking for. But yeah, yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than, 
sitting in a room with somebody and expecting them to know what they're going to charge. And then when it comes down to it, they don't know. And then you kind of have to guide them through it. Mm -hmm. That's, I guess I should say, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If they, if they truly went the entire time and just, just assumed they were going to get paid something and then they were felt uh, dissatisfied with what they actually got paid. Right. So just speak up and say, yeah. Hey, what, what is it? What should, what should this be? What's going to be comfortable for you? And then from there you can counter based off of what you're going to do for the client. Yeah. Um, probably last question here on pricing. Um, like when someone's going to sell like a one-off image, what should be some of the questions they ask as far as use? Like what are like the big questions that you should ask someone who wants to say like, Hey, here's this, they attach an image, say, Hey, I want to buy this image. Yeah. I mean, I know what I would ask people, but what would you right. recommend people ask as far as how they're going to use it? Yeah, typically, um, when you're pricing individual photos individually, like end use is always the, the great thing to ask. Like, is this photo going to be used one time on a social media post, which you know has a lifespan of 24 hours? Well, mm-hmm. that's obviously a smaller value. Is it going to be on a billboard that's going to live for three years outside of the shop or the place? Is it going into catalog? So finding out what that end kind of um, distribution placement is for that piece is key because then you can start to kind of put a value on it on the number of times it's going to be seen and what that impact is going to be. Right. So a catalog cover that goes out um, to, you know, a hundred thousand people on an annual mailing list. Well, that's a, that's a pretty large, you know, a pretty large number of individuals that are actually interacting with that content um, for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was going to have a lot higher value. So understanding what the placement is and knowing that, Hey, it's going to, it's going to have a longer life shelf. Then that's probably where you want to start to look at additional incremental dollars. But, um, you know, things like websites and some of those other things, you know, that's, that's, that's medium price. Like yeah. it's not, uh, it's not going to be as expensive as like a catalog cover. Yeah. And, you know, the hard part is it's just like with social media and stuff, people are consuming so much content so fast that it's hard to like justify paying a lot of money for a social post when it lives so long. But these pieces that are more kind of evergreen, like a catalog, then you can start to look at, at raising your rates on that guy. What's like the highest rate for an image as far as placement, do you think? Uh, What's like the like, yes, I sold an image for this? I think a lot of people think uh I think covers are. I mean, I think they still are. I yeah. mean, that's kind of today, even in like the true magazine world, I think they are. I think you probably could get more money if you were doing more of kind of like a spread, like an assignment, if you will. Very likely that would probably pay in the long run better than landing like one cover image. But sure. I don't know. I think for photographers, like covers are still the key. You yeah. Know? Like from, from all the friends that I have that are photographers, yeah. <laughs> like everybody wants a cover, you know? Uh, it's something to be proud of, right? It's yeah. like the, the first thing you see when you open the door. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think covers are probably still the most expensive, but, um, but with that said, like I've seen photography that is used like purely in like an advertising sense, like for the, like the big brands, like the Nikes and those, I mean, hundreds of thousand dollars yeah. to put in to going into that stuff so sure so that that's kind of the end game would be to shoot for advertising related stuff for big brands would probably be a little bit more um more money than what we'd get for cover but that's yeah. pretty hard to attain for so, sure yeah well cool Al. thanks for the information on pricing man yeah you bet so that was some awesome insight from lyle about pricing up next i ask lyle about portfolios and whether you should have a website and how to display your imagery and your work so that you can get jobs.
So Lyle, for photographers who are getting started, they're gung-ho, they're like, I want to make a career out of photography. Yeah. What would you recommend them doing as far as having a portfolio that a client could review? And mm-hmm. and is that a website? Yeah. Is it two different things? Is it one thing? Like what yeah. what's your take on that? Yeah. So I so for me personally, that when I find a photographer, when somebody tells me about a photographer, I instantly go to their Instagram account, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. right away. Just to see what they're posting and what that content looks like. And then from there, I'll start to like, uh, I might send them a direct message, but I'll probably start to do more of my homework in regards to, well, where else are they on social? Um, so I'll, I'll hit their Facebook page primarily to see if like, if they're a shithead or not, yeah. you know, like <laughs> is this kid yeah. like posting, you know, back in his college days with a big party or kind of kid or whatever. But, uh, and then from there, yeah, I'll dig into their website and I, I don't, I don't feel strongly that you have to have a website. But I do think it adds that qualifier that you are an actual business, that mm-hmm. you're taking the craft seriously and you put the, the time into having that online presence. But I've, you know, I've, I've worked with photographers that literally have barely an Instagram account that are badass, awesome photographers, right? So sometimes it's not always that path, but yeah, you instantly you go to Instagram and then you go to that website and you start to dig in. It just shows the professionalism that you spent the time to actually sit down, pick out your best images, put them in a collection, and then give yourself a little bit, you know, of a, an about page or give some context to why you shoot and kind of what your craft is. So, yeah, I think websites are important, but I wouldn't say they're like the make it, break it. But having a place where somebody could go and experience your creative and, and your photos is is definitely a key thing. And I think social media is a good platform for that. Social media can be a little bit tricky in regards to just how that uh, representation of your work comes across, mm-hmm. but it is definitely kind of like that first foot in the door that almost anybody that works in a brand or is looking to hire a photographer will go check out is yeah. what's their Instagram account look like. So, If you were going to have a portfolio mm-hmm. and that was a website, yeah, like what would be your preferred platform or yeah how would you if you were personally were going to be a photographer yeah, how, yeah. what would you yeah. use to put that together yeah or recommend yeah, I, mean, I know you have web background but right yeah i just build my own but uh <laughs> no uh i think uh squarespace is a great great platform mm-hmm. um there's some other ones out there wix and some other ones uh, they all seem like all of them seem a little bit gimmicky but squarespace seems like it is kind of the, the most tailored towards uh creative professionals Sure. So I think that'd be a good one. Um, I think uh, you can actually do some pretty interesting things with Shopify. It's a bit more of an e-commerce platform, which maybe you'll sell some prints on or something. Um, Shopify is a, a pretty decent platform. Um, there's some other ones. WordPress is okay. It's a little bit cumbersome from kind of a content management standpoint on the back end. So I always kind of steer people away from that. Squarespace makes it pretty darn easy to upload yeah. and interact with with the website. So probably Squarespace. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's pretty good. If you're so, and then approaching brands, would you have, would you tailor a portfolio to a specific brand when you approach them? Or would you be like, here's my general? Yeah, no, this is a good question. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I think a tailored approach is, uh, is a smart way to go. I mean, we're a big game brand. If somebody brought me a portfolio of waterfowl photos, I wouldn't instantly turn them away, but I would be curious to know, can they shoot big game? Right. And most good photographers, they can they can shoot anything. But uh, yeah, I I say like absolutely curate to your audience, right? Like go into the meeting knowing that you're talking to 
guys that sell big game products or guys that sell waterfowl products or upland bird, whatever that might be and have that content there, but always have like that stash, right? Like, uh, when you're walking into that, like have the portfolio you're going to show and then also bring like kind of a side portfolio so that if they ask questions like, well, well, what else have you shot? Like, mm-hmm. then you can open it up and be like, well, I've shot all these other industries and, and then you can start to pull it over and be like, I, you know, I shot cars one day and I've, I've shot homes. And mm-hmm. then you start to like get that feeling that the individual is kind of a more robust kind of rounded photographer capable of shooting anything yeah. and isn't maybe necessarily only good at shooting hunting. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think having a, a good curated portfolio going in is a wise, but the wise thing to do. Yeah. So if that correspondence and that interaction is like through email, yeah, would you rather see like a link to a website to like yeah. a smug mug gallery or would yeah. you rather have like five yeah. dope images attached right to yeah. the email like because yeah. i've done it all yeah. three ways yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know if there's a wrong answer to that i think smug mug works pretty good uh the name is terrible like yeah. it's just the worst name but yeah. uh yeah i think either way is is a good way to get kind of that foot in the door i, I think sometimes you can be super creative about it um I heard a story one time of this kid that wanted to work at an advertising firm in Seattle and he just like kept getting like shot down and maybe wasn't a good designer. I don't know that aspect of it, but he just wanted to work there. So he went out and got a Polaroid camera and literally took a thousand shots of himself, like mopping the floor, dusting, doing all these like small tasks and then put them in a box and just mailed them to the firm and said, let me do anything. Right. And he ended up, get in a, an internship there and nice. it's just kind of cool story. So the point of that is like, it's okay to think outside the box too, right? Like yeah. send somebody a really cool, uh, we used to call them thunder mailer pieces, right? Like something out of the box. That's like cool and random. Send that to a brand to get your foot in the door to make that impact. Sure. Um, when I was working at the, the agency before this one, we sent this, uh, this company in New York that we wanted to do work with a cattle brand. So we made them like this cool cattle brand and they came in this like, badass crate box that we built and we just shipped that to almost like a cold call. And I think that's the stuff that makes an impact. Yeah. I mean, everybody gets emails every day. Sure. And so sometimes it's easy to kind of like shift those to the back and, and not really look into them as much, but having somebody like reach out and do something really custom and personalized, I think that goes a long way to get mm-hmm. your foot in the door and it shows the yeah. initiative. Right. But I don't think there's really a wrong way to send somebody a small portfolio of images it's convenient email. You can just scroll down. Yeah, but I mean, size if you want to be on that boss level, you can do right. custom for every yeah. every brand. And right. You got to get <laughs> You're probably going to be crushing it. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's, the, the point is, is like, just think outside the box, yeah. right? And be willing to like, not just do the standard normal thing that everybody's doing, sure. especially when you're just starting to get going, right? Yeah. Like a photographer that walks in and brings me a 12 pack of beer, like that guy's already. Like, yeah, he's cool. Yeah, he's got a foot in the door, right? But the guy that walks in unannounced yeah. and tries to tries to talk to me, it's it's a little harder to take because mm-hmm. it just you know trips you up and kind of interrupts your day. So yeah. I think I think being on top of you know what those introductions look like and ensuring that you have that good first introduction is key. And part of that is mailing something that's kind of really cool and unique, or sending a thoughtful email and maybe expecting not no reply back, right? But sure. Um, so. Yeah, man, I don't. I, I think portfolio is key because you need to show your work, but there's a lot of different ways to skin it. Phone going off over there. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a timer going off. Sorry about that. 
Well, sweet, man. Any yeah. other thoughts on portfolio website or do you think that covers it? No, it's, I mean, there's a lot of cool things you can do. Like you can bind your photos in a book, send a book. We got one of those the other day from a photographer. Super cool. Like it's actually something you you keep. Like it's yeah. kind of sits, sits on my desk for three, four months. I might throw it away eventually, but um, lives a little longer, kind of top of the mind status, if you will, sure. on on somebody's um, somebody's mind. But yeah, be creative with it. But um, but yeah, you definitely need kind of a spot where you can display your creativity and, and be able to send that out. So I think websites are good. Instagram's great. Um, yeah. Sweet, man. Yeah. Awesome info, Lyle. You bet. Appreciate it, brother. Big shout out to Lyle there on giving us great insight on portfolios. The last little segment that I have with Lyle is just asking him about social media and branding as a photographer. So let's listen to what he has to say. Um, yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I really would talk about that's, I don't know, social media, but is there anything that you want to like mm. think is important to, or anything that you have an insight on for new photographers? Yeah. I'm sure you have a lot. Uh, I got a lot of insight. <laughs> it's probably a different camera. Uh, <laughs> uh I think the the biggest thing we touched on this earlier is determining kind of what you want out of of your career. And this, I think this goes for really anybody that's kind of in that creative realm and that's deciding how you want to approach your long-term kind of goals as a creative. And so for some people that's, you know, shooting photos for a lot of different brands for a lot of different years. And for some people that's, you know, aligning with, you know, two brands or three brands and really working closely with them for, for a long time. And for some people, I think they really want to be kind of in that influencer position where mm -hmm. they're able to create cool content and share it with others and, and share that with brands. And I think all three of those are really good paths to go down to down. I think they all come with like pros and cons in in other ways, you know? So I think the influencer thing is, is cool. I think, when typically you're an influencer, you're, you align very closely with some brands and that's, that's a good relationship to have. I think it can be hard to establish those new relationships and show that loyalty uh, without like burning bridges sometimes, you yeah. know? And so like, you want to find that balance of like, like, yeah, I think loyalty is really important, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to, to provide for yourself and for your family, if you have one. So mm -hmm. you want to ensure that you're setting yourself up to run a business first and foremost. And while loyalty is important, you have to do what's best for your business and for yeah. yourself. Right. Yeah. And so it's finding that balance of, of being, you know, the guy that isn't just out there, you know, running from brand to brand, but you're ensuring that you've set up a long-term kind of plan in order to be sustainable in the market. Right. Yeah. Cause you put, you know, the old saying put one, oh yeah, was it one, too many eggs in one basket or one egg and no baskets or something like if you only got one egg in a big yeah. basket that egg falls out well that's not going to be ideal yeah, for screwed. yeah for yourself so i think it's you know knowing what you want to get out of this before you go into it yeah. because you can go down any of those paths and they're all can be successful some of them will just come with greater hurdles in the long run right yeah and working more kind of openly with a lot of different brands and just providing a creative um a creative asset without looking so much for the influencer or being, you know, having to be known worldwide for taking that photo yeah. is not a bad path to go down, you know? And that's, that's how really like more traditional marketing and advertising agencies work is that 
they'll work with a lot of different brands and there really isn't any or very little creative um, kind of uh, kickback or, or knowledge that that agency even even did that work, right? Sure. Um, you can you can reach out and ask like who did it or what happened there, right? And but that's how those agencies are successful is that they're not out there like having to be known as the person that did this, right? Yeah. And so I think that's something to think about when you're a photographer is like what do you want your role to be? Like do you want to be more of the influencer and kind of the thought leader, or do you want to be you know the guy that is capable of working for a lot of different brands and and still being loyal and thoughtful, but just kind of ensuring that like hey. Yeah. I have a lot of different irons in the fire and I'm shooting for a lot of different people. So N- yeah. none of it's a bad thing. Depends but. on how you want to make your money too. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's some people get paid for their influence. Yeah. Other people don't. Yeah. Absolutely. Some people are good at being influencers. Yeah. Yeah. Some I people think, aren't. It's like yeah. the influencer side of it's a lot more popular and like yeah. glamorized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it looks good from the outside. And it, I think sometimes people like, like you always look at something like how many followers somebody has or what's that engagement level. And I, I don't always look at that myself as like, Oh, that guy has a lot of followers. He must be an influencer. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he, he obviously has an audience and that audience is somewhat listening to him, I guess. But I don't necessarily, when I look at those people instantly think like, Oh, this is like the guy that is, is crushing it. Right. Yeah. Cause like when you actually start to dig into the content, what they're producing, like, I mean, there's a lot of really attractive people on Instagram that have a lot of following that put out the worst content, right? Yeah. But the guy that maybe has like five, six, seven thousand followers that actually is kicking ass to put out a lot, of, a lot of content, like, like that's still a good influencer, right? And then when they start to just go up in tiers, I think you know the content better come up on that same level. Otherwise, I don't really consider you an influencer. You yeah. know, you just have a large following. Yeah. And that you're not really influencing or adding a lot of value, just sure. a lot of social noise, if you will. Yeah. So how, uh, for people that are in the social sphere and want to have a presence. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the question all the time. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear your take, but like, how do you break through the noise? You know, yeah. there's a lot of great fo- hunting photos and a lot yeah. of great photos on Instagram nowadays. Yeah. Like, I think, I think we're kind of moving past this, like, uh, and we see an in Instagram, like it used to just be you would get on Instagram to see what people were doing. Right. And then Instagram started to take off and Facebook does what they do. Algorithms change, things change, everything ramps up, ramps up. But then it becomes like, well, how many views did I get? Like how many interactions did I get? So I just, I feel like that's not always like the, the presence that you want to crush it on social. I think consistency is good. Like always ensuring the content that you put out is good. Right. And so like, you know, at Stone Glacier, we run our social page in kind of two two fashions. We have our uh, our feed, which we tend to put in more curated, thoughtful. Like, hey, here's here's some really good content. Here's some education. Here's you know X, Y, and Z testimonials from customers, and we kind of build that up to be something that you would want to be proud of to like live lifelong on on the internet. And then the stories, like that's kind of the behind the scenes stuff, right? Like that's the stuff that makes you relatable as a person. And so I think finding that balance of like being professional, but also showing that like, Hey, I'm, I'm capable of, you know, narrating and telling a cool story about things that are going on in my world and knowing kind of when to stop. <laughs> right. Cause I think some people just, just keep going. feel like, yeah, I just feel like they're just going to keep posting. And the more I post, the more, you know, I'm going to grow on social and more the influence is going to be, but I would much rather watch five to six really good pieces of slide content than, you know, 80 
different slides of somebody just going about their day doing whatever they're doing. And it's just not that interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think ensuring that what you're putting out there, that's going to live long-term, you want that to be pretty polished, but those things that are kind of going to disappear in 24 hours, eh, you know, let it fly, but just know when to put the camera down, right? Sure. Shut it off a little bit. Yeah. So. Uh, for photos that you post to your profile, like yeah. what do you think makes the best impact? Not just like from like, oh, wow, I got a crap load of likes. Yeah. But like, yeah. what do you think actually like it's interesting, connects like, with people? Yeah. The nowadays? photos that, that I always see... Uh, like at least on my channel and what my mine's kind of a mix of like, there's a lot of drawings and things. I do that a lot in my spare time. So there's a lot of drawings. There's a lot of hunting photos. The photos that I always crush are pictures of somebody interacting with an animal. Like, mm. you know, somebody harvests a great bull, takes a cool photo with it. That photo will crush. I draw an awesome elk. That photo does like medium. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know if it's the like aspirational aspect of it. Like somebody's, you know, excited for them and wishes they were in that position and will like that photo. Um, I also feel like there's something to do with the algorithm too, in regards to like how fast photos are like and how quickly the content is consumed. And that then just gets inserted in front of more people. And so things kind of bounce out, but, um, but then I don't know, sometimes you'll be surprised in a photo that you think is going to just, be terrible crushes you know so half the time you don't know (laughs) yeah it's really hard to tell like which way it's gonna go but and again like i don't always like look at at the number of likes a photo gets to determine if it was a good photo i really like looking at the engagement i mean there's something special about social media still where somebody takes the time out of their day to like type in a little note that says Mm -hmm. like that's a rad photo man and when you start to get those like when you get that level, you know, 30, 40 comments on a photo that, that you posted, then then I start to think like, well, the content must be resonating with individuals and they must be excited about it, you know? And so you kind of want to start to figure out what your own formula is, right? Like I posted these five photos, or, you know, one photo over five days, these three kind of tanked. Well, maybe I'm going to stay away from those photos, yeah. right? Um, the only kind of argument to that would be like, if you're trying to show the breadth of your work, then it's okay to maybe have a few kind of B plus photos in there and mm-hmm. it's okay to miss every once in a while. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. I think just in the process of creating this, that I've found that ed- people just love education. Yeah. They love like some information yeah. behind the scenes on either yeah. the product, the hunt, yeah. the stock, yeah. what's going on in your head, yeah. the struggle, the whatever. Totally. Well, the, yeah, it's like the the beautiful, uh, and it's it's due to this honestly like the saturation of the market because there's so much good content out there just to look at that people kind of want to know the the backstory of it, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what adds the value is to provide a little bit of that utility and that education to a consumer, um, and I think that's what gets people excited is to like have that little glimpse behind the scenes because what a lot of people. Like, I think it kind of, it goes by the wayside and we forget is like, like they, they're not in this industry every day, right? Like they, they aren't interacting on this level, right? Like in a showroom working for a brand doing this kind of thing. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a thing that in a lot of ways is very kind of aspirational and it's fun to, to like, I mean, we love working at at brands and and working when I was at the agency for brands, like it's a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I think looking from the outside, it's kind of like that window in, right. And being like, Oh, that's, that guy's got a cool job or that's, that's a cool thing. And being able to see behind the scenes and get a little bit of education or utility out of it, I think is a nice thing to do. So uh, education is huge right now. Like everybody is, is looking to provide education. Some people are really good at it. Some brands are really good at it. 
some brands think they're providing education and just fall short, right? Like it's, it's hard to judge what content is actually being useful, but that's where you pull in all your analytics and your data and look at and say, that photo did really good. Well, yeah, why did it not do the good? fun stuff, but right. Yeah. You can it's, get a lot of information out of taking yeah. the time to scrutinize it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think anytime you can provide a little bit of insight mm-hmm. and the cool thing about our industry too, is there's in the last, Oh, probably like, like two and a half, three years, there's been this shift in um, sharing content and sharing education before it was like, in a lot of ways, very like you held your, held your cards very close to your hand, right? Because like, this is, these are my clients and this is my information and I'm doing it. Right. So it's cool to see like, uh, and this, this, this course is great. Like the opening yeah. up and the sharing of information, because it's a pretty big pool and there's a lot of room for a lot of individuals. So why not share that information? And it only makes life easier, right? Like yeah. when we're talking about pricing, well, if you have a, a trusted resource, a friend that you can talk to, and say, well, what are you billing or, or how did you do this? Then it only makes that industry better as a whole rather yeah. than like a couple of guys kind of knowing all the rules and all the playbook. Right. Yeah. So, and then, you know, like if you kind of alienate yourself and put yourself out on the side and you're not really willing to share, then I think yeah. you miss out on opportunities, right? Like For sure. those cool collab product projects are just that ability to, to get pulled into the fold. Yeah. It definitely used to be a lot more like behind the scenes. And I yeah. think just the more people know, yeah, the better. Uh, for everyone and yeah i think even though the hunting industry is definitely saturated to some extent with content creators i feel like i see more and more businesses just realizing the value of content yeah uh just it comes back to networking like yeah you might be working for a military brand tomorrow right based off hunting like it's the hunter who works at a military brand that now wants to go on a sheep hunt or wants to bring hunting into the mix of his business or just yeah, you did a great brand story for a hunting brand, and that makes total sense for the deli down the street or yeah. whatever. Well, that's you know, like I think people shouldn't necessarily limit themselves right. to hunting either. No, it's it's a good it's a good point. Like, um, I've always been the believer that you should you should kind of dabble in a lot of different industries because you'll you'll find that even though they may on the outside look like they're miles apart, right? There's mm-hmm. actually a lot of similarities. And you'll find that something going on in this industry is absolutely applicable to something going on in yeah. kind of your main industry. And oftentimes that main industry you're working in, they have no idea that this is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like that this is even a thing. And you're like, oh, we should absolutely do that, right? And like pull that in. So yeah. you'll learn a lot by kind of putting yourself out there a little bit and and working in some other industries that maybe aren't hunting. And the nice thing is, is all industries can be fickle, right? Like it can be be hard to to first break in, but knowing that like, Hey, I'm, I could still go shoot some houses or I'm going to work with this client on this kind of cool, unique project that isn't really my passion project, but I'm gonna do a really good job and I'm gonna get that experience out of it. And I'm gonna step that up to the next, next project. But yeah, I think absolutely like any opportunity you have to make money and shoot for something, even if you're like hard, isn't in it, like do a good job. So the end product is good but mm-hmm. you're going to take away that experience and that knowledge and yeah in a lot of ways that's going to be more valuable than any money you would make for sure um let's end i guess on this question of like what do you think the number one char- characteristic uh-huh. a photographer can have that dictates his ultimate success yeah <laughs> that's a good question i argue it's just hard work but yeah i think everyone has a different idea of what yeah that i think one variable most likely is 
yeah i yeah i mean it's hard work i think hard work's kind of like the answer to everything right you gotta do hard work to yeah. like get by i think hard um, work and right yeah exactly it's like a two-part question uh first answer is obviously hard work i i think uh personality is key um and we talk about this a lot at, at stone glacier in regards to like our culture and in that I would much rather have somebody with a really good personality that fits our brand work here, even if they have no idea what they're doing mm-hmm. and teach them what we need them to do, than to get somebody that's arrogant or misguided in what they think they know and have them come in and try try to work with us. Cause it just yeah. it would be a hard thing to to clash. So I think having that personality and being somebody that, you know, is is smart but humble and can carry themselves and is understanding and knowing that like, like, Hey, I, I bring some value to the table. I'm not underestimating myself, but I'm willing to also sit at the table and take in the feedback that's given to me and actually process it and take what I process out and actually apply it to what the client is asking or, or, you know, what have you. So I think that, that ability to be somebody that is just a good, good character, right? Like, like going into a meeting, knowing like, you know, I'm going to tell them what I can do and they're going to have some feedback. And in the end, we're going to walk out away with it and we're going to have this good roadmap of the content that's going to be created. Right. And I think it makes you more approachable too, right? Like nobody wants to work with somebody that it's just hard to work with. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't happen. So I think, you know, being a good approachable uh, individual is great, but, but not, not the kind of individual that bends over easy, you know, like you still want to be able to, to stand up for yourself and let people know like, Hey, like this is the, the service I'm provided and this is why I think it's working, but still at the same time be able to take criticism and criticism is good. Like that's the thing that everybody, maybe this is the third part of that question is be able to take criticism yeah, and, and take it without becoming angry. I think mm-hmm. the hardest thing as a creative to do is to, to put all your sweat, blood and tears into something. And then, have somebody that isn't that involved in the project or maybe it's just on the cusp tell you it's not working, mm-hmm. that's going to hurt. Right. But you have to be able to take that criticism and not be a complete prick about it. Right. Yeah. You definitely have to be okay with failure and people yeah. not liking your work. Yeah. And it's put okay. Put a good spin on it. Yeah. It's okay. Like, and it's okay to like have a rebuttal back and say like, well, I appreciate your position. Here's why I think it's working. Let me know why you can tell you're working. Mm-hmm. The number one thing that I absolutely can't stand about creatives is when somebody tells you it's not working, but they can't tell you why hmm. it's the worst answer ever. They you know? just know. They just know, right? <laughs> like, Oh, I just know. Well, if you just know, then you know why it's not working yeah. and you need to articulate that. Sure. So whenever t- somebody would always let me know, like when I was doing design for something, they're like something about it just isn't right. Or it's just not good. Like I would always press them for a little bit more information mm-hmm. because I can't fix it if if you just have this hunch that it's not right. Like we'll never get to that next sure. step of making it right. So you always want to be polite and respectful, but kind of mm-hmm. pry into like, well, what's not working for you or what is working? Yeah. And then oftentimes that will open up that dialogue so that you can get past that criticism and, and the yeah. end the project's good. But I think like criticism's fine. It's how you handle it because yeah. I feel like that almost strengthens a relationship. If, oh yeah. Like if a client comes to you and says, Hey, I don't know if this is working out. And you're like, okay, like right. what's, what needs to be different. And you kind of show that effort to like, let's figure out the solution to make yeah. this right. Like yeah. you're showing a commitment yeah. to successfully completing the project right. in the brand's best interest. And they're just going to be stoked. Yeah. Totally. Even though it might've started out negatively. Like, yeah, well, it's always hard. And like, I don't know. I, again, like I'll use the electrician, like 
you come in and the light doesn't work and the electrician's like, I know. So like, it's pretty hard to like criticize them unless they're just like, like all the switch plates are on crooked or something, you know? So being a creative, like everybody is so subject to, to, to what their own personal tastes are. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a hard, hard business to be in is to have to sit there and take that criticism knowing that you maybe put everything you had into it, yeah. you know? But I think criticism is absolutely something that it's kind of that third piece, like be hardworking, whatever you want your core yeah. core piece to be, to be a good photographer and then be able to take some criticism and, and run with it. But definitely, I guess I'm going to snowball this just a little bit further. Yeah. Um, how, cause this kind of comes back to like criticism and like, how well is it working? Mm-hmm. Like once you've delivered and it's like, you thought you did a good job. Yeah. I mean, how do you ever really go about getting that feedback unless you have a really deep relationship with the brand of like, yeah. how did this actually work yeah. on your end? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So sometimes you'll never know, right? Like depending on what it is, you'll never know. Sometimes you'll get instant feedback, like brand shares your photo on social media. It gets 1200 likes. Yeah, it did good. Right. You can compare mm-hmm. it to what the other ones have done. I think it's okay to, to plan a follow-up meeting. It's, it's probably likely a good idea to try to sit down with the brand after the project's over and just have that open dialogue. Say, hey, here, here are some things that I think went really well. Here are some things that I would change. Where are you at on that? You know, mm-hmm. um, For me, like, I tend to be more proactive. Like When we hire somebody to go out and shoot for us, they send us the photos back that day. I'll look through them and then I'll normally reach out with them and let them know like, Hey, like the content in here is really good. There's a lot of things we could use or like, Hey, it's really good. Um, next time let's try to capture these, these different elements. Right. And so I think photographers can do that same thing, like deliver the assets and then basically follow up and say, I'd, I'd love to, you know, bend your ear for a few minutes yeah. to walk through the content and deliver and ensure that it's meeting your needs. Sometimes, yeah, you'll never know though. Like, yeah, it just doesn't happen. The, the biggest thing too is, uh, I always see this photographers. Uh, they have a lot more time than brand guys do. Yeah, uh, and, you know, like it's part of a brand. Sure. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. You know, so you feel like you're shaking. If you don't get an email back right away, it's not the end of the world. Follow up. That's fine. Like send yeah. a follow up email, but just know that you're not always like the top priority. Oh yeah. Right. Like, and I know that's kind of a lame thing to say, but. Sometimes you get shifted down a little bit because like us, we're a small brand. Like I'll literally put out the fire. Some days I'll, I'll just sit back there and we'll answer calls or we'll have to build a bunch of packs or the showroom's busy. And so things kind of get pushed down, but it's not a disrespect thing at all. It's just sometimes a workload thing and that, yeah. you know, people have a lot going on. So just, just know that if somebody doesn't get right back to you, that they're probably back to they're you. not just like this dude sucks right yeah to talk to him. yeah and i think that's that's the hard part too about the digital world yeah. is like i get a text from my wife and i'm always like oh she's so mad at me and then i'll like call her and she's like i'm not mad at you and i'm like oh, i yeah. guess i read into that wrong right because <laughs> yeah. like you, you, there's there's no like emotion that comes with a text other sure. than what you want to put on it or an email so don't just assume that the world's coming to an end if the email or the text isn't maybe in the is tone it, that you want to. Do you to. think it's cool or not to use emojis in emails nowadays? No, I don't. I would use emojis <laughs> in text. I've seen that start to filter in. I used to, I used to have a client that would send me emails, and there would always be a lowercase J at the end of every sentence, and I was like, I can't like. 
so weird and, and it was like it was emojis that wouldn't show up in my mm. in my email client so gotcha. i would be like what is this lowercase j and then i started thinking i was missing something like lowercase. but no don't put an emoji in an email <laughs> you can put an emoji in a text to me that's where emojis <laughs> live sure. so yeah i just i've been seeing it kind of start to pop up so yeah. i figured i'd no don't know. do that I, I don't think work. so anyway yeah don't do it to yet. me anyway not yet so yeah <laughs> maybe I, like a year from now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So, uh, again, I guess the, the point of all that is just like, just know that like, Hey, sometimes it might take a while for these guys to get back to you. Mm -hmm. It's okay to send a follow-up email, you know, that, that's not a bad thing. I yeah. think sometimes texts are almost easier if you have that relationship with your client. Mm -hmm. I mean, I text the guys that we work with a fair amount, maybe more than email text is nice. You can get a little bit, sometimes more of an immediate response on some stuff, but yeah. I don't know, just everybody's busy, man. So yeah. Just gotta be a people person, man. Yeah. Everybody's different and handle yeah. the relationships as you see fit. So yeah. that's how I see it. Wow. Yeah, man. Thanks for all the info, Lyle. Yeah, hopefully there's something there. Yeah, man. You're a great resource for all this stuff. So yeah. we appreciate you we'll talking see. to us. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Thanks. <laughs> all man. right. See you, boss.